0: Welcome to Rethink, the Financial Advisor Podcast.
1: My name is Adam Holtz, and this is Derek Notman. We are your hosts, both veteran advisors and fintech CEOs who challenge the status quo, question everything, and have fun doing it. Hear honest commentary on the challenges facing advisors today, and be part of a community where we can all rethink the profession. Now on to our episode. Derek have you ever felt like you're a financial therapist? Oh, Adam, man! Like I'm laying here on this couch right now, and I just I gotta open up to you, man. <laughs> Wait, are you are you the therapist, or am I the therapist? I think we've both been therapists, and I think pretty much all of our financial advisor uh, listeners. I think we have a couple now, don't we? More than uh, two. More than two. Uh, I think that we all have been. I mean, like, man, I have got some stories. Really? Not gonna, Are you going to share not, those stories? On no, I'm podcast? not. going. That's like off the record stuff. You can email me or call me, but um, no. dude, like we hear some pretty interesting stuff as advisors. And I always have jokes. I hear more from my clients than like a therapist, attorney, and their priest all combined. Wow. Um, I'm sure you have as well. Um, I've had, I had one, just to totally digress here. I had one client meeting. They never actually became clients. Thank God. But they like, basically got divorced in my office because <laughs> mm. we were having some pretty in-depth conversations and stuff was coming up that the two spouses didn't realize was, was true. Oh, boy. So I've been through that. Similar things.
0: I mean, after so many years of being a financial advisor, you cannot avoid dealing with the tough issues, the, the wounds, the, the fears. All the stuff that comes through, it's interesting to see how many advisors are moving towards this life coaching. Uh, Obviously, having George Kinder on recently talking about life planning, I know there's enormous programs going on in the industry. Columbia's put out a holistic life planning program that that I've participated with, really awesome. There's a great number of financial advisors that are moving towards life coaching. And I think it's very true, Derek. Finance is such an intimate subject for which there's so little education that you get adults sitting with you, that you're literally educating and bringing them through an entire emotional journey to get into a place of being more financially fit. And so, yes, I really, I can relate to your stories. We've heard a lot.
1: We've heard oh a lot. man. I think, uh, yeah, it would be almost fun to like get a book sometime, put together of horror stories from all of our, our three listeners now.
0: <laughs> for, yes. Three or four listeners. Yeah. For, yeah. So thanks for being here. You three. <laughs> yeah. Look, this is a great lead in because we did have a conversation when we were thinking about this, we said, well, who is the leader right now? Who's the voice of behavioral finance, right? Why are people making different decisions and how do we help them as financial professionals? And of course you can't go very far without running across Daniel Crosby, Dr. Daniel Crosby. Dr. Daniel Crosby. Dr. Daniel. He's written a couple books, therefore he must be smart. Um, (laughs) We actually really like Dan. So thanks Dan for uh, participating in this. You probably didn't know what you were getting into when we interviewed you, Um, but he's a really cool person. Um, He has guitars on his wall and he gets to speak. If you can get to hear him uh, around the country at different events. And he talks enormously about why people take actions and why we need to, how we need to help them. So um, Derek, you ready to hear our playback of what we took away from this to get some commentary going? Yeah, let's bring it out and let, let people dive into what he has to say. All right. Let's hear what, he, let's hear what the good doctor had to say. Yeah. How does an advisor get an understanding of what is B5 for them? What does it mean to an advisor?
2: Yeah, I mean, behavioral finance, as I, as I describe it, is just sort of uh, finance that accounts for the messiness of, of human nature. I think a lot of our, our models are based on this idea of spreadsheet optimal or what's optimal holding human behavior constant when we know that human behavior is, is never a constant. It's always a variable. And so behavioral finance is just messy finance that accounts for the ways that humans think and act and behave in the real world.
0: Why does that matter to an advisor today? I mean, given so much tech out there, how is behavioral finance really a a critical component of what they should be paying attention to?
2: Well, it's uh, there's nothing that matters more, I would suggest, and all the research backs that up. So if you look at... Uh, the value added by advisors, right? So there was a great study done in Canada that that compared DIY investors to those who were advised and looked at them at five years, 10 years, 15 years. Uh, At at 15 years, people who worked with an advisor had 2.7 times the wealth as their unadvised peers, holding constant 55 other variables. So this accounts for, you know, levels the playing field across obvious things like income and things like that, which would sort of throw the measurement off. So holding all else equal, folks who work with an advisor have 2.7 times the money of their no advice peers. And when they dig into the data, the reason that's the case is that advisor has kept that person from two or three catastrophic missteps over that 15 year period. uh, And that's made all the difference. I could go on about this, but I mean, this is the biggest value that we add. And it's, it's really not very close. So that's kind of interesting here. So what he's doing
0: is he's framing for us this idea of behavioral finance is really about not just decisions point in time, but decisions over long periods of times and making good habits.
1: Definitely have it for me. I mean, it's all about behavior, but I like how he points out that behavior is probably the only constant that isn't a constant, right? It's all over the place. People are emotional beings and all these things continue to change. So it's fascinating, but I, I love that study that he references from Canada, Um, so thank you to our friends in the North there, but that way we'll, we'll throw that link to that in the, uh, in the, uh, the show notes, but go check it out. I mean, that's, that is a really brilliant study and it clearly shows the value of the work that we do. And as Daniel's going to say here, it's not just, Hey, how did your return in your S and P 500? fondue right there's all these other behavioral aspects to the work that we do
0: well it's nice to know also that there's actually a value of an advisor long term that it's not you know it's obviously not just about stock picking and we got to keep reminding everybody that that this is this is about having somebody who's going to tell you left right no don't go right what are you doing let's go let's keep going the course when you want to you know pull over because you see traffic so i think that's really clear let's let's jump back to the doctor fantastic so dan what is your perspective or your, your opinion of the financial advisor market today
2: well, first of all, we, we have to start with everything that's going right. We're reaching a higher percentage of Americans than ever before. Uh, planning and sort of holistic planning are increasingly taking center stage. I think fees are more in line with the value provided than ever before. And just the menu of investment alternatives available to the average person is more robust and, and more diverse than ever before. So that's a good news headline. Uh, I think the bad news or the the opportunity is we still have work to do around deep client discovery uh, that goes beyond dollars and cents. You know, at Orion, we do some research, sort of our goal is to, to understand how well understood our clients feel uh, when they've been through a typical onboarding process. And uh, without divulging any company secrets, I can tell you the answer is not very well understood. (laughs) I think we have a a lot more work to do to make sure that our clients feel uh, how much we care about them and and that we understand them at a level that is sufficient enough for us to provide appropriate customization and appropriate sort of behavioral coaching.
0: So that's interesting. I mean, it's, it's true understanding the client, which goes back to the therapy content we made, we sent early, which is we get deeper into the real emotional reasons and what are motivators going on in people's lives. What are you, what are you seeing? How does this relate to what you're experiencing?
1: Oh, the same thing. I think that's where the real value comes from. And that study just supports it. And we've talked about this a number of times about leading with advice, and you can't lead it with advice if you don't understand the behavioral aspects of the client that you're working with, why they're doing something, why they haven't done something. Uh, It's all interconnected. And he's right. We are reaching more Americans and even just people around the world than we ever have before. But now that human element of advice is becoming even more important because we have to understand these behavioral aspects of everything that we're doing. People know they can go buy a stock wherever the heck they want. They need more and they want more than that. And that, that's where us mm-hmm. as advisors come in. And part of that journey is hearing a whole ton of stuff that we normally wouldn't hear.
0: Yeah. I, it's funny, you know, I, I'm passionate about this at Asset Map. We focus so much on data gathering. The reality is, is that the data gathering mindset is so still technical. It's tell me about the people, how much assets do you have? What kind of income do you have? Or do you have insurance? Do you have debts? And the and what do you care about? I care about retirement, funding my kids' education and making sure there's enough if I'm not here, right? Those are very quantifiable, we'll call them mathematical approaches. They're not qualitative. And I think one of the things that we've seen is uh, a recent departure from the numbers-only fact-finding or fact-gathering of, can we understand the client on a deeper level? And can we actually maybe even systematize that, even though that tends to be a very, we'll call it relationship-driven, long-term empathetic journey that you kind of earn over periods of time. We're starting to see actual technologies that are starting to come out that try to match up the right psychographic of advisors uh, that I think are really important.
1: That's exactly. Yeah. If you're going to have this behavioral connection well, you probably should have people that understand each other and like each other. Probably. I mean, I don't know. I mean, most marriages that work mean the people like each other, right? That's true. Well, we don't know, but sometimes. I mean, you and I like each other still. We've been doing this a while here. (laughs) (laughs) We've been going on a good year. (laughs) We made it a year. We made made it a year, man.
0: Oh, happy anniversary. (laughs) Awesome. All right. Let's hear Dan. Keep going. Awesome. So is that the missing opportunity? Is that people, or sorry, I should say advisors are not aware of their customers, we'll call them emotional needs tied to their money. And you mentioned fact-finding. Can you touch on how advisors can address those things? Are there some takeaways or actions or attitudes they should have?
2: Yeah, I, th- I think there's a couple of things. One of the things is we we need to be focused on giving advice that sticks We are advising about 40 percent of the American population now, which is up dramatically, as I suggested, uh, from about 25 percent not too many years ago. So that's the good news, right? The bad news is that slightly less than half of those people are taking the advice as it's delivered. And this is consistent with what we see in other fields. One of the leading causes of death in the country Uh, is people that have gone to the doctor then don't take their medication as prescribed and end up uh, having some sort of uh, fatal problem as a result of that last mile behavioral problem. We've got the tech, we've got the product, we've solved the investment problem, right? We haven't always solved the investor problem though. Uh, I did some research lately. It was crazy. I looked at $10,000 It invested in 1972. Uh, If you put that in sort of your average value factor fund and bought and held it over that time, that $10,000 would be $2 million. If you put it in a growth fund, it's $1.7 million. I'd take either one, right? That's a good return either way. Uh, Yet you look at what the average investor got. If we look at seven different academic studies that look at the gap between investment returns and investor returns, the average investor got somewhere in the neighborhood of $400,000. So capturing between a quarter and a a fifth of the return available to them. So sometimes we as an industry are solving the wrong problem. Like we're over here fighting about value versus growth. Meanwhile, investors are over here blowing themselves up uh, because we haven't solved that investor problem. We've been too busy fighting about the investment problem.
1: Yeah, that... It makes so much sense. I like his analogy of uh, like medicine. Hmm. And I think it it goes to it. I mean, I'm sure I've sat with some doctors in the past where I'm like, eh, not sure I trust you. Not sure I like what I'm Hmm. hearing. I'm going to go get a second opinion or I'm going to do it my own way. And then I end up getting in bigger trouble. Hmm. And I I think it, it goes down to this like trust thing. And maybe that doctor, maybe the advisor is a hundred percent spot on with their advice, but because the trust, the behavioral connection isn't there, there is the lack of trust. And therefore they're like, eh, not sure if I'm going to actually follow through and what they're telling me I should do. Yeah. So I think he's spot on with the investor problem. And when we say investor, I, I would lump in, whether it's insurance, investing, planning, whatever, any of those financial things that we help our clients with, um, yeah, man, like we got to solve that problem. And we got, that's that whole human BFI thing here that we're talking about. You know, it's really funny. Mm-hmm. I just realized it, but I, I think when a consumer
0: comes to a financial professional, they're saying in a way, I want your help because I recognize I'm not serving myself as best as maybe I could, because I don't have the expertise or ability or access, or I don't even know if I'm asking the right questions. There's an enormous number of people that are obviously DIY. In fact, many financial advisors DIY themselves, they don't actually get outside advice because they already know it all, right? But I, I don't manage my own money, I don't, but I, I choose not to because I don't want to be emotional about it. Exactly. Um, so the point about that, is, and I think one of the things I've seen personally is where I've seen failures in my own clients to take action, where I have not been able to get them to take Behavioral follow through is when I can't help facilitate it. And you know what that area has been the biggest. I'm thinking about it. It's been on the legal and the tax side. So the investment and the insurance and the money management, we can do that for them. So we can help them follow along and get there and get it done because that's our role. But once I tell them, listen, you got to go get your wills. You got to go do this way. You got to do this way. I get back to the end of next year. Did you do it? No. Why didn't you do it? Wasn't a problem. No, I just didn't get around to it. I got intimidated. In other words. We need to be proactive for our clients and help them get it done. If they're coming to you, they're already saying, they're raising their hand saying, you know what? My behavior is not aligned with my interests. Okay. I actually need you to help me and I'm willing to pay you to help me get it done. And I think we can do a better job as a community, helping people get done stuff, even things that we don't actually manage and get paid for. That's going to be the interesting thing. And I think that's why you're starting to see movement towards true fee advice uh, movement is because we need to help people along a whole
1: spectrum of areas, maybe even real estate, maybe even financing. Yeah. It's so interconnected. I think that you're spot on there. And it's tough when you're coming from a sales environment that says, Hey, sell this product. Cause that's the only thing we can do here. And yeah, sure. Tell them they should get a will, but then leave it at that. Right. Like as a yeah. consumer, do you really want to be told to go get 18 different things done? And with 18 different advisors, like you're not going to get it done. You need help. That's right. Yeah, maybe it's a, it's an argument for coordination. Let's hear what uh, let's hear what Dan said.
2: So, I think one of the things that we need to do is is use uh, the learnings of behavioral finance as a mirror onto our own behavior. I think you know Jason Zweig talks about this. We've often used it as a window onto client irrationality but seldom have we used it as a mirror to look at our own hangups and our own biases and create that rapport with our clients by being honest about where we get it wrong and where we're scared and where we're fearful or where we're overly excited. So I think there's an opportunity there for us to do some work on ourselves uh, rather than using behavioral finance as this thing to look scornfully uh, on the uneducated masses. We can turn that bright lens of introspection back on ourselves And start to be a little more candid about where we could do better and how we could help our clients better. But another thing I think we can do practically uh, is we can move beyond bias. There's been this huge conversation around where we get it wrong. And it actually mirrors the development of psychology as a discipline more broadly. We started with Freud and your mom and all the ways that you were broken and screwed up and, and needed help. And it's only in the last 50 years that we got to positive psychology, which teaches us how to be better leaders, teaches us how to be more fulfilled. Behavioral finance started the same way with sort of these long lists of all the ways in which we're broken with respect to how we think about money. We as an industry need a a positive behavioral finance where we can educate our clients uh, about how they can be great with money and about how their values and the things that they love can actually be integrated into their plan in a way that spurs them to make better decisions, not always focused on all the ways they're going to mess it up.
0: I think that's really cool. I, I, there's two things I heard. I heard lead by example, really just walk, walk the talk, show your clients what you've done. I always tell my clients what I do. I show them my asset map. I show them how I dealt with certain things, How I because I want them to know I've actually done it. I'm not just telling them to do it. And I love that comment of, uh, of it just leading by the positive example, not necessarily, yeah. here's why you stink, right? Here's what you did wrong. Here's why it's going <laughs> to yeah. fail.
1: Yeah. You, you suck. You just, you don't know how to do anything. You're never going to never be successful. Like, uh, you may not actually say that, but they may be feeling that way, right? <laughs> it's, the judgment. Uh, yeah, that's true. The judgment is terrible. It's I think that might be one. Maybe that's one of the reasons not everyone wants to work with an advisor because they're afraid of that judgment. Mm-hmm. It's true. Yeah. I I heard him two things. One, be introspective. Let's look at our our own biases and advisor. How do we mess things up? And let's be honest with ourselves and how we're doing that with our clients. But also, as you said, like be positive. Hey, great job setting up that retirement account or getting this done or getting that done. And then just build on that positive psychology, man. It kind of works. It does kind of work. Well, look, you want to reinforce good behaviors. You
0: can't focus on exactly. the bad behaviors and say, yeah. hey, why'd you do it this way? You schmuck?" you know, like I, <laughs> I'm here for you to, okay, I guess you're right. I did mess up. Yeah. That's not the point, right? So the, the key is we want to help people get good habits because their success is our long-term success uh,
2: so that we can be part of
0: that. Let's uh, let's go back to Dan for his, his close up.
2: We need to ask the kind of questions that develop a real rapport between advisor and client. Because that rapport is the best predictor of whether or not they take your advice down the road. You need some money in the bank with them relationally. So six months, two years from now, when you're asking them to stay the course and do this hard thing, they know that you care. They know that you have your be- their best interests at heart. So all of that is important, if only for building rapport. Uh, even if it never taught you a single thing that you needed to fill out a financial plan, you're taking a genuine interest in them is is laying the framework for that later rapport. Love that. It's funny because Adam and I, we've had like two conversations just recently for this
1: podcast and you're saying exactly what they were saying. (laughs) It's great. In a
0: different vein though. In a different vein though. It's a different different
1: angle, but it's the same thing. I love it.
0: It's true. It's fun to hear that that bias, that's first that, well, this is the second time we've heard bias come up. Maybe this is a new kind of... uh, Uh, A word to Jack, I guess. (laughs) Um, Listen, Dan. Is there any is there anything that you think that the audience needs to hear? Right? Is there a message, a bigger message, or a futuristic perspective on why it matters and what kind of we have to create urgency for these advisors to change their behavior and want to change as opposed to being pulled into it? Is there something we can share with them that that will communicate that to them?
2: Yeah, I think the headline here for me is that we're we're solving the wrong problem. In in 2016, Merrill Lynch compiled a study was a meta-analysis. There was a study of all the studies on where advisors add value. And they looked at what I'll call the old school stuff like product selection, asset allocation, tax management. All of it's valuable, right? All of it's valuable on a range of somewhere between 30 and 62 basis points per year to the client. It's all good stuff. But then you looked at stuff like goal optimization. Uh, client assessment, behavioral coaching, this stuff's adding between 65 and 244 basis points a year. So we need to compete where we're most human. I think sometimes we are trying to out-robot the robots and we're having the wrong conversation, solving the wrong problem. All that stuff's great. We have great tech. We have great automation for asset allocation, tax management, and all the rest. Let's compete where we can win, which is on the human side of money.
0: I mean, I love it. You know, when we do these interviews there and they always drop the mic at the end, right
1: they there. always leave that. Did you guys, did you hear it? The Human side of money, man. I heard I mean, it. Like I actually kind of, yeah, I heard it drop. Fell. It's a book. There's a book right
0: there. I, yeah. What what I think, what I'm hopefully what I'm focusing on, if you heard what he said, go back and listen to it. Like replay those last two minutes on your podcast and listen to what he said again. He said that the humans have the capacity beyond asset allocation, beyond stock picking, beyond whether you're using alts or REITs or index or of adding significant basis points to the long term results if we can help manage behavior. That's it. That's the value. We're always asking, well, how, why do we justify our fees? How do we justify charging X percent? That's right how but you have to communicate that to the client because they don't know. They didn't even know. We were told we first starting the business that 91% of the results was asset allocation.
1: Oh do you my remember gosh. that? It was the Ibbotson Oh survey. my gosh. Yes. 91%. Ibbotson. Like, oh, that's it. Just do that. There was never a single hint about BFI in there at all. Not at all. Not at all. Oh my so, gosh. You
0: remember that? 91%. Now, I, you that know, was Something yeah. else with stock, like two thirds of 1%. I can't remember what it was, but it was some small amount with stock selection. And so the rest was maybe timing. And, and of course, you couldn't control the timing part, right? right. So right. it was the argument of you should just sell a mutual fund and buy and hold for the long term and get the allocation right. And that's what you needed us for. But that's not what you need us for anymore. It turns out what you really need us for is choicefulness, right? Decision, consistency. That's, that's the point. That's BFI. That's now B-Fi, you, now right? we know how to answer that
1: question. What is BFI? That it's, it's that human capital rapport he talks about. That's what they need because they're going to come true. back to you at some point if they're about to make a mistake. Well, you know what? I really trust my advisor. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to make that dumb decision today. I'm not going to be a schmuck.
0: We're going to pick up the phone and call her.
1: Like that's exactly. the
0: point. Exactly. You know, that's, yeah. That's the, so what are our takeaways? We always want to wrap up with what are our top two or three takeaways from each of us that you can put into action?
1: Well, I right? want to know what yours are. You want to know mine? Yeah, because once you do yours, I'll just kind of like copy yours so I don't have to think on my own. Oh, that's brilliant. (laughs) That's great behavioral advantage. (laughs) I'm managing my behavior. I, I think the first thing that came up
0: was for me was you got to educate the client on the behavioral value, right? What we just talked about, what he just dropped the mic on and reward good behavior. One of the things... That we all know as parents, if you are one or if you've had one, I guess, uh, probably one or the other, <laughs> that you, yep. you reward good behavior and you punish poor behavior or you deter it or whatever we're using for words these days. And I actually think that there's an opportunity to not only communicate the impact of the good behavior, but when you start to see it, find a way to reward it, right? We we tend to send uh, kind of, hey, Christmas holiday uh, you know, birthday gifts. Why don't we actually flip that on its head and actually reward them when they did something good? Like you saved, you hit your target on savings. We sent you a gift certificate to go get yeah. on, on a menu, like on a yeah. restaurant, like good job. Go tell your friends, like what a good job you did. Take them out to dinner on me. Like that, I think that's an interesting idea. You
1: know. I love that idea. How much cooler is that than getting a holiday card? They're getting yeah. that from everybody. They're not getting a card saying, hey, congratulations, you made it to retirement and you're ready to rock it. You
0: know, yeah, 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 yeah. you know. Yeah, your net worth across the million dollars. Congratulations. No, how about you actually saved despite the difficulty of saving this year? Congratulations. You actually insured when you said, I really didn't want to do it but you did it and you took you made the hard decision you did. It. That's the stuff we want to reward. I, I don't know. I'm Now I'm stuck on this idea as a parent. I'm going to go and tell my kid that I'm going to reward her for, for doing good things. Um, obviously, leading by example is a big one. I think that's an opportunity to create that rapport he talked about so that you're trustworthy. We all know that doctors that have a good bedside manner get sued less, okay? There's studies have been done about this. <laughs> Malpractice is clearly tied to bedside manner. If you don't get along with those clients and they don't like you and something goes wrong, Guess who's getting sued? That mean old doctor, okay? In the opposite is true as well, right? If you're empathetic, you're related to the client, things will inevitably go wrong, but things also go well. Uh, You want that value to accrue to you. You lead by example and you connect with people. And the last thing is I I got stuck on this whole thing of beta, this idea that maybe the variability and the volatility of our outcomes, that really the B in beta is behavior, and so maybe we've been focusing actually on the wrong thing in investments long-term is that that behavior is a real component of the beta. And of course, the alpha that results in that, which is basically your return performance. If we can actually have good beta, maybe we get good alpha. And that's a, the, the kind of attitude that I think he was just saying. Maybe there's some fun analogy in there that we can figure out. Oh, uh, sure. Or if you figure it out, just you know send it on our LinkedIn profile and say, I figured out the coolest saying. I tend to like those things. So that's what I'm thinking is the implication of behavior in outcome.
1: E is the beta in behavior. I think uh, that's like a book title in your free time. Adam, why don't you go write that? Uh, well, I'm going to call Dan and tell him to write it. <laughs> you can just, yeah, you can do like a forward for him. Um, yeah. I'm not going to just, all right, we'll do this quick. So mine are my friends, my advisors that are listening to this podcast. Please know that you are valuable to your clients. And there's data to back it up. But as Adam said, you got to be able to communicate that too and show that to them. And as Daniel said, this is where the behavior, the, the social or um, emotional rapport and capital come in. But you can back it up. So we are valuable. We have to look inwards with the behavioral with BFI, right? Look in the mirror uh, just as much as you're looking at your clients. I think that's really important. And even about bias, we've talked about that before. And stop competing on tech. We've talked about this before, yeah. Adam. Like We all have access to the same tech pretty much at this point. Yeah, there are different flavors of vanilla, but we all pretty much have the same tools. It's the human stuff, the problems, the solutions, the relationships. That's where we can compete and nobody can beat us on that one because we're all different. Hey Amen. Now, that's
0: really great. Um, now, I, I really, I, as you guys all know, we finish with a community request. So, Derek, I'd love uh, for you to share this Uh, This one particularly, because this is fun.
1: Yeah, this is fun. So this is coming from our friend, Becky Temba in South Africa. What's up, Becky? Uh, Yeah, he goes by Becky. Really cool dude, all about leading with advice. And he is one of the most forward-thinking people I know in the financial advice space. And he sent us a note uh, on LinkedIn here. By the way, folks, that's where the best way to get a hold of Adam and I. So follow us. We'll have more than two followers. So Becky says, the biggest issue in my circles is the transition of the industry from product-led to an advice-led profession that is focused on doing the right things first for clients. And we've talked a lot about that, but then he goes on to say, but how do we do this whilst, I like how you use the word whilst, whilst also delivering profitability and sustainability for financial advisors? And Mm. that's huge because I would be willing to bet a lot of advisors agree that we need to lead with advice and do the right things for our clients, but we also aren't charities. We got to get paid. Mm. So how do we balance it, Adam? What do you think?
0: Well, I've been talking about it a lot on stage um, that I think there's going to be a massive disruption, especially financially to most financial advisors when they get this rude awakening as not just our own distribution companies start to cut the comp. To make the products more competitive, but as technology solutions directly go in there and just start absorbing the cost at a lower margin, right? So the question is it's gonna happen because economically it makes sense that products will have less overall comp built into them. And I think that's gonna affect, it's really gonna affect the product placers. Now, granted, we can probably replace that income in some level with uh, advisory or fees or professional services and so forth. I don't know if it's going to catch up as much, but I think what's going to happen, Derek, is that those professionals who start to move to the advice world will see a disproportionate growth in their uh, market share, while the rest of those that don't and stay product only are going to basically leave the market. So you're going to have more people that want advice and less advisors that are seasoned enough to help them get the solutions they need anyway. So while I think margins are going to come down, I think that the market will get much larger. And so that the question is, are we positioned as professionals to pick up more of the wallet share and more of the market share because we're leading with advice and we're hyper-niched into a specific community with expertise? How about that? It
1: sounds like your solution here is advisors should really focus on this whole leading with advice. Let's get more tactical with that. Get your CFP, charge for a financial plan, charge on ongoing subscription for financial planning services. That, that's kind of what it sounds like, right? Like, yeah, charge that's fine. that, right? I
0: agree. That is a way to capture some of that, Becky. But I, I also think that even if the compensation rates come down on placement customers who buy advice, as my kid says, he says the money has to land somewhere, right? Is, yeah. is the argument, if I walk you to the restaurant door and I leave you at the restaurant door, say, okay, I brought you to the restaurant. And then I'm like, all right, see you later. And they're like, no, come, come in and you know, be part of this with us. Sit down with us, enjoy the dinner, be part of We have more questions for you. Like, I, I think advisors will still wind up placing the business. I just think the margin compression we'll see for the revenue generated from the placement of products will come down. And so therefore, instead of earning, let's say, $10,000 for a life insurance sale, we'll earn 3800 Okay, for the same exact product. Now, obviously, the advisor is going to feel that, but I, I just think there's going to be that much more volume of business coming in, and tech will basically make it easier to, to triple one's activity. So I can write now three or four life policies over the same period of time. So I may not actually see a reduction in compensation as a result of that pressure that he's talking about, but... I have to be able to compete. That means I got to have the right tech, and I got to have the right relationship coming into it. And I got my get my clients in the right behavioral mindset so that they stay with me long term, and I earn the lifetime value as an entrepreneur. Think about that. It's all about long term lifetime value capture. So I know I just talked about SaaS company metrics, but we have to start thinking like an entrepreneur.
1: Well, we talked with um, what's the gentleman from Snappy Crack there about uh, Robert Sophia. Yeah. About enterprise value and building Mm. that. That's what we're doing here. So awesome question from our friend Becky down in SA. Uh, Thank you, sir. Uh, It might take a little longer to get you a rethink hat or t-shirt since uh, (laughs) you're a little bit farther away, but uh, maybe I'll fly it down there for you on my next trip. That sounds cool. Yeah. Well, listen, as
0: Derek already said, thank you so much. Uh, and also be sure to participate in this conversation. Of course, subscribe to the podcast. Uh, tell your friends, go on uh, on iTunes and leave us a review. Hopefully it's positive. If it's not positive, you can keep it to yourself. Uh, and then <laughs> <laughs> listen to a different podcast. <laughs> yeah. We said we're controversial. Now we love you all anyway. We just won't know who you are. But the point is, is that, uh, look, we love the engagement. The, the podcast has been really exploding and we've been really blessed to be part of this uh, this ongoing conversation. Um, to, to Dr. Daniel Crosby, thank you so much for being on here. We'll put a link to his books and his site so you can engage with him. Obviously, uh, making a huge charge over at Orion to, to make a difference in the industry. We appreciate everything you're doing. Derek, my friend, it's always a pleasure spending time with you.
1: Likewise, brother. Until Good the next, Daniel. Time. next time. Thank you for listening to Rethink, the financial advisor podcast with Holt and Notman. Be sure to subscribe now and join the ongoing conversation. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily
2: represent the views or opinions of Asset Map or Connector. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only.